My name is Shaylin Copes. And I'm Dana Copes. Our scripture reading today is from Acts 2, verse 5 to 41. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the saving acts of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This, this is the Word of God, heard, heard through our people, and I'm so grateful, Dana and Shailen. I think you must read a lot at home. Come and read often to us. Well, today I want to talk to you about uh, revival. So, so many of us have been sensing that God wants to do a special work among us here at Lake Avenue Church 
So today I thought I would come back again to Acts chapter 2 and, and stop for a while to think about what we call revival. Uh, what I want to talk to you about is those moments in which we have a personal encounter with God that might even go beyond what we normally experience in our walk with the Lord. Uh, many times as individuals, uh, we call them uh, those times in which God seems even more real to us than at other times. Do you know what I mean by that? But in those times where there's a special movement of God among us as an entire people, a church, then Christians have always called that uh, revival. Uh, I want to talk mostly about his work among us as, as a church family that we're, we're praying that God will do. But I want to think for just a moment at the very end about you also having a fresh and personal meeting with God. Um, in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, you, you've heard Shailen and Dana read this. Luke, who wrote it, tells about one time, he just reports this happening in history, uh, of God's breaking in to a group of people who had gathered for one of the Jewish festivals. It, it was a Pentecost festival. Uh, when you read through the book of Acts, and we will, and you come to Acts chapter 4, we're going to find a second time where something like that happens and it's reported. And then when we get to chapter 6, it's a very brief description, but it's also something very similar to that. And all of us who have read the stories of witnesses throughout the history of the, our church and of churches in general know that there have been times all around the world and at all times in history where God has chosen to, uh, to have a special blowing of the wind of his spirit through the lives of his people. And, and, and it often starts when there is a fervent longing and time of prayer among young people. Did, did you know that? Uh, revivals have often started with student movements. Uh, so today we're going to think about that. Now, as we do, I want to I say this up front. I believe that God is everywhere and, and God is ready to make himself known. That, that when you and I seek him, he will make himself known to us. And it happens when we place our faith in Jesus. So God is always present in this world. He's at work in this world. But, but there are times, I believe, in which God does a special work of making himself known. Uh, we sometimes call it renewal. Sometimes it's, it's restoration, even reconciliation. People's lives start coming back to God and to one another. And we really know it as revival. Now, now you also have to hear this. Uh, the kind of revivals I want to talk to you about, this authentic movement of God among his people, have always happened among people who are committed to the essentials of what's written in this book, of biblical faith, and to the Jesus that this book tells us about. In other words, the kind of movement of God's spirit that I want to talk to you about has, has never happened among groups like, like Unitarians or, or, or Scientologists who deny some of the central aspects of the faith. And yet, having said that, our Father seems that not to play favorites. Among those who are committed to Jesus and who worship in many different ways, you know, but are committed to Jesus and, and to the Bible, he's, he seems to choose to send it to differing people at different times. For example, in my lifetime, perhaps the greatest revival that I have sometimes even been able to experience a little bit of has been the revival in Korea, where, where the church was so small, and then the Spirit of God broke in, and, and now thousands and thousands of people came to Jesus, and they're sending out uh, people. Do you know who that revival started among? What group? 
Presbyterians. I mean, can you believe that? And uh, nowadays, in the last decade or so, there's been an enormous movement of the Spirit of God throughout the continent of Africa. People have been coming to Jesus in unprecedented numbers in Africa. And do you know the main group that he's been working in, the Spirit's been blowing through? It's been Anglicans. Anglicans. And also in Latin and South America, there is now a fresh wind of God's Spirit that is blowing through. And mostly, that's been happening among Pentecostal groups or among uh, Assembly of God kinds of groups. It, it, it just seems like we sometimes think, you know, we've got it right. You know, and so if God's going to send a revival, it will surely be to us. And God just sends his uh, revival to whomever he will, whenever he will, wherever he will. But I am sensing some of the things that so often happen uh, that lead to revival happening among us here at Lake Avenue Church. So I thought I needed to talk about this because in, in the years that I've followed Jesus and have spoken about revival or thought about it, I've heard so many churchgoers think about it in different ways. Uh, for example, and I wrote down a couple of made a list. One is this way in which you talk about revival and the response of the church is we don't need it. Mostly, we don't want that happening around here. And usually that's the response I get in very traditional churches, often mainline kind of denominational churches. It's the idea, why are you talking to us about this? We're insulted that you even talk to us about thinking we need something more than we have. Well, we don't need that fanaticism around here. We like our church just the way it is. You know what I'm getting at when I say that? So sometimes when this topic comes up, we just want to walk out. A second way, and this is the way that as I grew up, I usually heard revival talked about, and that is we can make it happen. You know, we can make this this meeting with God happen. I grew up in kind of the Bible Belt little church in West Virginia, and um, there we had twice a year uh, a revival service. We're going to have a revival is what the pastor would preach. And now I don't know how you can say we're going to have it because it's just a visitation with God. But that's what we said. And we thought we could make it happen. And we could make it happen by making sure going out and really promoting it. We can just get everybody to show up. And so we tried to get all of us to go out and bring our schoolmates and, and friends and, and neighbors. And we gave prizes to people who brought the most uh, people with them. And we thought, okay, we've got to make this something really enjoyable. We've got to have the right kind of music. And that always led to a fight about what the right kind of music might be. And we need a good speaker. And if the thing didn't go well, it was all uh, his fault. And we had to make it really, really entertaining so people so we would promote these things. Come tomorrow night, and the pastor will wear an asbestos suit and set himself on fire and preach about hell. You don't want to miss it. You know. Well, I make a little bit of fun of this, but um, many good things happened in those services. Uh, people came to Jesus, came to faith in Jesus in those services. So I praise God for it. But I really think that those were much more maybe evangelistic services than they were experiencing times of God's revival. Because I, I'm just telling you, I, I've read through all through the Bible and I've read all the way through church. I don't see that we can make a revival happen through our efforts, through our promotion. Uh, God is the one who gives revival. We don't make it happen. So one, uh, we don't want that stuff around here. <laughs> Number two, oh yeah, we're, we're going to promote it and we'll, we'll make it take place. 
And then the third way, and I think perhaps the most frequent way that I hear it talked about even now among church people, is the thought that revival is all about signs and wonders. That if some sort of supernatural signs, healings, and so, then that is a revival. And if they don't happen, it is, it is not a revival. So many times we just think that if, if that's a part of it, then ipso facto, simply because that's there, that, that, that that's a revival. That revival is all about signs and wonders. Um, when I was ministering in India many years ago, uh, the same time we were having meetings there in the southern part of India, uh, there was a, a satanic cult that was having a big series of meetings at the same time the same city. And the reports were that all sorts of supernatural things were happening over there. And I had no reason to deny that that was happening, that there was a supernatural power happening. As I talked with the pastor, he was a longtime pastor there in India. He said to me, Greg, you need to know that God does miracles. We must believe that. God is involved in this world. We call it imminent. He is here. And God does miracles. And very often when we have these special visitations of God, the times of revival, they are accompanied by supernatural signs and healings and miracles. But he said, simply experiencing signs and wonders are not revivals in and of themselves. Those kinds of things, there are other supernatural powers in this world too, and I'm sure he was right. So if, if I think we can kind of go a little bit astray in a, in a variety of, of different ways, how will we know if God is wanting to do an authentic work here among us in new ways here at Lake Avenue Church. Well, my, my um, answer to this, well, you were here last night, is the same thing that my mom always said to me when I would ask the basic question, how will I know it when I find the right girl? And moms, you know what the answer always is? You'll know. I want more than that. No, you'll know. And I'm convinced that, that God says, I do it, and you'll know that I'm there, and you'll know it's from me. So I, I, I want you to know that. I, we can't put up a formula and make this happen because this is something from God. However, as you read through the book of Acts and see what happened there, as you uh, read through what God has done in history, it seems to me that there is, and I've called it a usual cycle of God's reviving acts, a usual cycle of the way that God restores. So I want to lay them out in front of you and have you think about them and pray about them. First... There is always a sense of longing among God's people. We look and feel like there is something missing. It just seems like God hasn't, isn't playing his rightful place among us. And, and often, uh, revival movements have come out of times of crisis. Th those times when something's just out of whack. Uh, things are outside of our control. And that happens with us individually, too. You know that? Often our, our, our deepest meetings with God come out of times of real crisis where we say it's not working. Everything is going wrong. Uh, financially, it's not going right. Uh, my family, my kids are rejecting the faith. Things are wrong. And, and when that happens, usually we go one of two ways. Uh, either on one side, we get mad at God and frustrated with God, right? And we just give up and don't show up at church anymore. Or on the other side, we say, excuse me, just a minute. <clears throat> we say, I can't do it myself. And when we say, I can't do it myself, then we fall upon God. And we say, Lord, I need you. And in those times where we say, I need you, then we see that God often breaks in. So I'll tell you, often it's in a time where things are really tough, 
for a church people or for us individually that we have a fresh meeting of the Lord because we're, we make ourselves available to Him. Now, it's not always that way. That longing can be caused by something else. Sometimes things are going fairly well, and yet still it seems like it's just our own energy, and we wonder, is God really in this, or is just this us making it happen? That's why I give a warning about saying, if we think I can make it happen, we've got all the gifts around here. You know, you've got to write a good facility. We can make this thing happen. Then we're probably in danger of, of keeping God from ever showing up and, making, uh, and working among us. Instead, uh, what so often has happened, and I think this is why revival movements have so often started with young people and with students that people grow up in churches just like ours and they look at it and they say, sometimes this just feels like a machine. It has a more of a corporate feel than the feeling of the family of God. Do you know what I mean by that? We can plan for this thing. We can make all the strategies. We can bring all the gifts together and, and, and we can do it. And, and students throughout the centuries have looked at that and said, no, that's not the work of God. I, I tell you, when any church is more guided by reading Harvard Business Review and just going out and doing surveys of what everybody is doing, and we'll do it the way they did it, and then God has to show up. We're in real danger of ever having God really move among us. No, it starts with a longing that whatever happens here, it will be from God, which creates an openness, which brings me to the second thing. Where we have that longing. Do you have that for a fresh meeting with God personally or for us as a church? The second part of this cycle is a time of seeking, a time of seeking. I call it active waiting. So <clears throat> this movement of God in Acts chapter 2, uh, do you know Luke wrote Acts, but he also wrote another book. He wrote the book of Luke. And so this breaking of God's spirit had come after centuries of people waiting. And he wrote about that in Luke chapter 2. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And he tells the story of two people. Uh, the story of Simeon, the old priest, who had been waiting for years. He'd been righteous and devout and praying for God to come. And that God somehow had given him a prophecy that, that Simeon would not die before the Messiah would be born. You know that story, don't you? Every Christmas we tell about it. And so God came after all of those years of waiting and Jesus was born. And just a few verses after Simeon, Luke 2, we read about Anna, an 84-year-old woman who also had been waiting, actively waiting Praying, spending time with God, seeking God, until finally the Messiah came. Well, then you read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He was ascended to heaven. But when we open up Acts 1 and 2, do you know what the followers of Jesus are doing? They're waiting. Still waiting. Active waiting. Worshiping and, and praying. And so this time of seeking God, has almost always been the kind of time in which uh, God himself breaks in and makes himself known. Uh, the same thing I think is true in almost every revival that's ever happened in history. I, I, I was going to tell you many of them, but I knew you wouldn't stay all day, so I'll just tell you one. Uh, in 1727, there was a group of people in Europe called the Moravians. There were only 300 of them. And, and even with those 300, as so often happens, they were... They were in dissension and fighting and bickering with one another. And so their leader called them to a time of seeking God and praying. He said, we need God to work in us and through us and among us. So they started in January of 1727 
around the clock, praying all day and night, different people praying, um, prayer watch. By May, there was a movement of God's Spirit. There was confession of sin. There was reconciliation of relationships. They spoke about the fervency of God now at last being among them. So something began. But the prayer had to continue. Uh, do you know long, how long they kept this uh, round-the-clock prayer watch going? Six months, a year, a hundred years. I don't think anybody made it the whole way. <laughs> a hundred-year prayer watch. And I'll tell you what happened out of that. All of Europe was turned upside down. By the time you get into the 1800s, it even reached into England and touched the lives of people like John and Charles Wesley. You may not follow history very much, but people who preached the gospel and hundreds and hundreds came to Christ and even had a great influence here in the United States and our own revival times, the times of great awakening in the United States emerged out of these times of, of active waiting. So I believe... That if we are sensing, if we're having that longing as individuals to meet God and and we believe that there may be a fresh visitation of the Lord that's going to happen here among us, that I have to call you also to a time of actively seeking Him. I, I warn you, when we seek Him and we believe that God is present, it always leads to confession of sin. He, he, when we're waiting on Him, He shows us things in our lives that maybe we hadn't even been aware of that need to be surrendered to Him. Uh, our younger pastors have been seeking this, sensing this longing for a good while, and, and they're the ones who really began this initiative of having an upper room. We're really soft on us just every other week. We want to come here into this place and call this place the, our own upper room. And, uh, next Sunday evening, we'll come back again. We want to spend more time in prayer than we have even in the first two, but a time of actively waiting upon the Lord and saying, Lord, is there something you need that we need to give back to you? Is there something that you want to do in us? We are open to you. I urge you to join us and to be a part of that. Uh, this week, we're going to be having the National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Did, you heard that announced. So we're going to set aside special times for us to meet and to pray. And I pray you'll take out the worship folder and find some of those times in which we're going to be able to just spend some time with the Lord. Even the uh, Gold Line concert at noon. We're going to set aside more time to pray. Um, for those of you who are in Sunday school classes, I urge you to condense some of the other things and spend more time just with the Lord in prayer. Uh, in your small groups, and we have so many hundreds of us in small groups, I urge you to keep meeting and enjoying being with one another and looking at the Word, but I urge you to set aside more time in prayer. And individually, I'd urge you to do the same. It, it takes a little more discipline. But if the longing is there actually to meet God, it always must give way to the second phase, a time of, of seeking Him, which in the cycle of God's reviving acts has led to moments of visitation. That, that's the word Christians have used for a long time. God visits. God makes His presence known. This is the point I tried to make in the beginning God is always available to us. I pray that you experience his presence every day of your life. But a visitation of those special times of, of God's uh, wind of his spirit blowing through us. But he does it in different ways. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, when they were waiting on the Lord, this mighty wind like a typhoon came and blew. It didn't destroy the house. But I'll tell you, it changed everything. So it happened. In Acts chapter 4, the second time, 
the building that they were in began to shake. So it was different, and I was trying to think of all the ones, but one other that I find really enjoyable is in the Old Testament when God met with uh, the family of Abraham. Uh, they had been, they, God had told them something would happen. They'd been waiting. It was not happening. So finally Abraham was there, and they tried to help God out instead of just waiting, <laughs> waiting on him. So they were waiting. You know, uh, Sarah was there when the angel of the Lord and a couple of the angel, other angels came, and she was hiding back in the tent. Do you, do you remember how God made himself known there? He made a hundred-year-old woman pregnant. Now, if that isn't evidence of the presence of God, I don't know what is. So I just want you to know it's going to happen in different ways. But God will make himself known. I, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time. And there have been times in my own personal life when, when God has simply let me know that he is there. I, I pray that you will experience, I really pray you'll experience that each time you come to church. But I, I've had a few times in my own life when, when I've sensed a revival among us as a people. One of them that I thought I, w- I would just share with you happened back when I was at the university that I was in before coming here at Trinity International University. We had a crisis. Our athletic program was completely out of control. It's not the only one that's ever been completely out of control. Uh, we had the same things happening on our campus, Christian campus, that were happening in every other athletic program all over the place. One time it was so awful, I won't even describe it. it was, what, what happened was, it was so awful that I had to call in and dismiss 18 students one weekend, and it should have been two or three times that. Um, it led to a time of longing. We, we had tried things, and if it didn't work, we knew we needed the Lord. You know, we had a large seminary there as a part of the university, a couple of the seminary students thought, you know, if that's where it happened, God is greater than that. We need to go in there. And they decided they would start mentoring a few of our football players. And as they were doing that, they took a number of the football players down to Tennessee or to Kentucky for a prayer retreat. When while they were there praying, they began opening up their lives, confessing their sins These big football players started weeping as they recognized that their lives were not what they should be. And they re-surrendered all that they were to the Lord. And they committed themselves to being fat Christians. I think I may have shown you this once. The fat movement that happened among us. I put it up here. The fat movement was this. They came back committed to being faithful, available, and teachable. They were going to be faithful to doing what the Lord would have them to do, even if nobody else did. They were going to be available to the Lord, spending time with Him so that they could hear from Him. And they were going to be humble and teachable, saying, Lord, we've tried it on our own. We need You. So they came back, and and I I, I hear that our director of facilities wasn't letting them have any place to meet. So (laughs) they came into my office and said, President, the Lord is working in our hearts, but things are keeping it from happening. I said, what's keeping it from happening? They said, you. I said, oh, well, let's see what we can do. So we opened up space for our own upper room in our chapel. It started small and and soon. These were student leaders. Soon, students from not only the college, but the seminary were coming in. And the chapel wasn't big enough to hold them. They met on Thursday nights. Fat Thursdays, we called it. Thursday nights, they would begin worshiping and praying. And that prayer would last till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, leading to the confession of sins to the complete re-surrender of their lives to the Lord, it turned our campus upside down. And it didn't just stop there. They had to go out. 
You know, and they, they, they had to go out and tell others. So one day, these football players who should have been kicked out of school will now be becoming the spiritual leaders of our campus and going out into this community and witnessing to Christ. And a movement of God happened in the local public high school. Many, many students came to the Lord through the witness of our students, and they started their own fat movement there. And they went over to a local secular college and began witnessing there and telling about the work of God, and, and a fat movement started there too. And it just changed. It changed our, our school. It changed our community. It changed our world. You see, when, when we have a longing and we seek Him and become open to whatever God will do, God will make himself known. He will visit us. And that always leads to the fourth thing. Our lives are changed. Our lives are transformed. And usually that time of transformation has to do with our witness and and our service. Uh, Every revival from this very first one in Acts chapter 2 led to people just having to tell people, it's real, God is real. And he can be known and he's known through Jesus. It's always happened. So that, you know, after they'd experienced that there in that room in Jerusalem, Peter got up and preached, and it is a great sermon. You heard Dana and Shailen read some of it. You know, he was a fisherman. He wasn't a well-trained man. Peter was a fisherman. He preached a powerful sermon, and at the end, 3,000 people came to faith. And, uh, and the same thing has always happened, because we know that God is the one who did it. We know that God is real. And, and not only that, it's not only witness It's also service to people because we find out that God loves us as we are. And so we go out and when we touch the lives of people in our community and see them hurting, we want to show the love of Jesus. So you read about the revivals in history and one of the great revivals in England led to them seeing that so many of the children in England didn't have an opportunity to go to school. And so do you know the early Sunday schools started by people in the midst of revival were started to help children learn to read? Did you know that? Um, another great revival that happened in England and other places led to the abolition of slavery in many parts of the world. Because you begin to recognize that slavery is not something that is right before the Lord. And a person who stands outside and doesn't feel like they belong, they, they can be a part of the family of God. So we begin viewing those who are often viewed as aliens or problem people over there, as people for whom Jesus died, and we bring them into the family. Do you see this? Here in the United States, as the Great Awakening is happening, that's when the orphanages were started because the many, many children who were left without a home, we knew that that isn't right. And so, you know, as we're filled with the love of God and know that God welcomes us into his family, wants us, then we want the same to be experienced by everyone. Essentially, when I think about it, the things that we should be doing as Christians anyway, we simply start doing them out of revival. The things that happen when the Spirit of God is in control are just intensified. And Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. Revival. He said this a long time ago. It's the work of God in which the church is both beautified and empowered because the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. And he listed these. The conviction of sin, the enjoyment of grace, access to the presence of God. And then I have my Waybrightian additions our empowerment for witness, our our growing desire for justice, our deeper love for all people, all those things that should be just a normal part of our lives become intensified. But what, what really happens is this. 
when we know that God is there and we have a fresh encounter with him, those things one day that we thought were impossible, the next day we know they're not impossible, right? That when there's an obstacle that we think is insurmountable, now we know it's not insurmountable. God can do the impossible. When you think, my husband will never come to Jesus, he won't even come into church. You know there's hope for your husband because God is real, right? And when your child walks away from the faith and you think they'll never come back again, they got burnt when they were in church before or whatever, you go out saying, no, there is possibility that just God, as you met me, you'll meet my child. And we begin to pray more fervently and say to them, it's real. You've just got to come and experience it with me. So if I can boil it down, what happens when this longing for God leads to a time of patient seeking after God and he visits us? One, God is more real to us than ever. Two, others in the world begin to notice a difference in our lives. Uh, People will say, oh, that Lake Avenue church, it's been there for a long time. And I just thought that that was a big church that, you know, put on programs at Christmas Eve and Easter. God seems to be in that place. Look what, see, that's what, that's, don't, don't you pray for, okay. Three, uh, people come to faith in Jesus through our witness. Not just through the pastor, but through our witness. People come to Jesus. I look down on the second row, Jackie, do you know her? Jackie, you lead somebody to the Lord almost every week. Working there, doing their nails, and, and you have a captive audience. You lead them to the Lord. Brings them to church a lot. And four, we begin to have a noticeable impact upon our neighborhood and world that people can see. Do you long for those things to happen? Do you long so much that you're willing to engage in a time of seeking Him? That God will be more real to you and praying that that wind of the Spirit that blew through in Acts 2 will blow through this place too. (laughs) And we will know that this is His house. I pray that we will have, that's a deep longing in my heart, that we will have that kind of encounter with God. But you know, uh, it might start with you having a fresh and personal encounter yourself. I'll I'll end my sermon with this. Um, After uh, Peter had experienced that revival time there in that room, he had to preach. And he preached the great sermon, and essentially his sermon was about how other people can actually meet God too and have a fresh experience with God. And I'll just have you, you have to go home and read it. It starts in like verse 14, it goes all the way through verse 41. It wasn't a short sermon, but an effective one. And essentially he just started by saying, you know, God really is. The people there for that, they believed in God. And now he says, I want you to know that God really is. And he's not just out there, he is here. God is at work, and and he is working out a plan in this world. He took them back to their prophecies. He took them back to Joel. He says, what you see happening here isn't just some strange bit. This is God doing what he promised he would do. And it's not just available for a few people like me, Peter says. It is for all. God's going to pour out his flesh upon all people, for all who call upon the name of the Lord are going to be saved. Verse 21 in his sermon. Young and old. Daughters and sons can know and encounter God. Is that right? Now how? That's the second part of his sermon, beginning of verse 22. This Jesus is the one that God himself certified as being his son. He did it because Jesus alone lived the life you and I should have lived, but none of us has. 
And then he did the things that God alone can do. We all saw them. That's what Peter says. We saw the miracles that he did. And so we know it. But he said, you didn't like him. Did you notice how he went right, right at it? There are sins in your life. You put him to death on the cross. That's what he said to them. But it didn't work, did it? Because death couldn't hold him. He tells about that. And he escaped death through his resurrection, defeating sin and death by his resurrection. So that now, through him and through him alone, you can meet God. The thing that keeps you from encountering God is your sin and mine. That sin needs to be confessed, needs to be owned. And then we need to say, will you take my sin and and wash it away? And you can encounter God, but that true meeting with God comes through faith in Jesus. Because you've got to realize uh, these people who heard Peter's sermon believed in God. That's what they, they were there for the festival. They believed, but most of them had never had a personal encounter with God. So I don't know if you agree with me about this. But I think that we human beings who are made in the image of God can have a knowledge of God that there is a God on our own. I even, and through the witness of many, many people, I even believe that people can have some sort of an experience with God on their own. But Peter insists, and I do too, that this personal relationship with God where you can know him as your father can come only through faith in Jesus. For he alone lived the life we should have and can die in our place, being the substitute for our sins so that we who are not right can be declared right with God. And when they heard this in that sermon, they said, what do we do? Because they were convicted. You can read it to the very depths of their being. Because he had said, you put him to death on the cross. And maybe you're thinking, oh, whew, I wasn't there. I didn't put him to death on the cross. Were, were you thinking that? Do you know most of them weren't there either in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified? The people he was preaching to, most of them weren't out yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They had come from all over the world just for this festival. Why did they think they had put him on the cross? Because they had an understanding much deeper than most people in the American society have. We are such individualists. We, we can look at what happened on Jesus on the cross and said, they did it, I didn't do it. Some people said, the Jews did that, I didn't do it. But these people understood that what was in the hearts of the people, the selfishness and the sin that was in the hearts of the people that led to the crucifixion of Jesus is in my heart too. They knew this corporate responsibility. Do you sense that? I, I, usually when I talk about such things, I, I get a blank stare. It's just so foreign to us to think that what was there is here too. At least this. Do you know what keeps you from really knowing a holy God? It's that there are things in your life that are unholy and wrong. Sometimes they're in our thoughts, right? Attitudes, words spoken, things that we've done. And you've got to own that. You you need to be rent to the very depths of your heart too and say, Lord, what do I do? In the light of the fact that there are things in my life that don't please you, I'm not ready to meet you, Lord. And Peter says, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. And you will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit.
Repent. Own that sin and give it to God. Turn away from it. Be baptized. The meaning of baptism is that every part, and I love baptism where all of us from head to toe go down (laughs) because we're saying all that I am belongs to you. My life is no longer my own. Lord, it's no longer I who live, it is you. I want you to live in me and through me. Repent and place your total faith in Jesus and you will be saved and you will experience the presence of God through his spirit. So today, I call upon you if you've never had a personal meeting with God to begin by giving him your life. Own the sin and give it to him. He'll take it, really. Cast it as far as east is from the west. Hallelujah. Can't we begin again? Life can begin again because of a gracious God and merciful God. Hallelujah. And tell him, here is my life. I don't know all that this is going to involve. Lord, I've tried to do this on my own. I failed. I need your help. And when you need your help, he'll visit you. And that will lead you to join me and others who are seeking the Lord and asking for a fresh movement of the Spirit. A revival that's sent from God. One that unmistakably is His work and brings glory and praise to His name. Let's have a moment of prayer at the end of our service even now. Would, would you take out the kneelers if you can? And I know up in the balcony we don't have them, so you can pray as best you will. Let's begin this way. Let me lead us. Father, you are present everywhere in this world. You are present in this place. So because of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, we come to you and ask you to make yourself known to us even now in ways that go beyond anything we've ever experienced. Father, I pray on my own part and on behalf of everybody in our church today that we would simply know that you are real and that you are here now. We ask for that, Father. And now, Father, we open up ourselves to you. We seek after you. Father, shine as you did with those football players at that retreat. Shine your light into our lives. Show us things that need to be confessed and given to you. Father, are there our thought life, our attitudes? Father, show us those things that need to be confessed. We give them to you. Take time now to confess. Lord, we need more time than this. But now I pray on behalf of us all who have just begun to confess.
that we would hear your good news as we've never heard it before. That, Lord, you are faithful and just and will forgive the sins of all those who confess our sins. And you will cleanse us from all that is not right. Oh, Lord, thank you. Now, Father, as grateful people, stir our hearts to seek you more deeply and to live for you more fully. That through our lives and witness, many may come to Jesus. And your glory may be known here in the San Gabriel Valley and far beyond until your work is complete. And we stand before you and sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is he who gave his life for our rescue, our salvation. Father, it's in his name we pray. Amen.